We're going to turn to God's Word. So uh, if you have your Bible with you, uh, the words will appear on the screen as well. But we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And we have Ben recorded, and Ben is going to give lead us in our Bible reading this morning. So, Ben. Today, today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, our brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, so that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. Brilliant. Ben, thank you so much. Guys, thank you. And parents are making their way back in slowly. We are going to spend a few moments thinking about these words that Ben has read for us. Interestingly, Ben is becoming a communicant member. You heard his name read out. He'll be at our second service as well. But let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word that is alive and powerful, and every time we open it, it reveals you. Every time we open it, there is an invitation to hear your voice, and we say, come, Spirit, speak to us through the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in a series at the minute called Reach, which is thinking about our responsibility to be global Christians, our missional partnerships that we have around the world. Because the reality is Orangefield doesn't just exist within these four walls. Some of you might think it does, but it's actually bigger than that. We serve massively in our local community. In fact, we're in the midst of um, appointing a part-time community youth worker to help to do and to develop uh, the work that we do in our local housing estates around us. And we're really, really excited about that. Please be continuing to pray about that. We interviewed for the post just this week. Can't yet tell you who it is until all the formalities are through, but we're very excited. But it's not just that Orangefield exists in these four walls and on the streets around East Belfast. We are a church with global reach. Because God's church here on earth is a global church. Gary alluded to that in his prayer earlier. We are interconnected with people of faith all around the world simply because they profess Jesus as Lord and Savior and they're part of our church family. But specifically, we have a number of partnerships with other churches, with projects all around the world. With Timothy and I Am Cares in India, helping the poorest of the poor in the slums on the streets, providing basic care and food and talking to them about Jesus. With Fields of Life, educating children in Uganda, giving them the best chance for their future. 
with OMF um, planting churches and doing evangelism in Asia and amongst Asian students and people here in Belfast, with Wycliffe Bible Translation and other organizations making sure that people all over the world can read the Scriptures in their own language. And there are others that we are connected with. Check out our website. Check out our social media feeds. This morning, I want to show a little short video of two of our mission partners, Noah and Susie, who are working in Athens uh, amongst Farsi-speaking refugees, providing basic care and aid, providing welcome and providing food for people who have no home and no country to call their own. This is Noah and Susie. Good morning, Orangefield. We are really happy to get the chance to update you this morning on what we have been up to. I think one of the last times that we sent a video to you, we were um, talking about our Christmas appeal, fundraising for sleeping bags for refugees here in Athens. We were overwhelmed to receive over £9,000 in donations from Orangefield Presbyterian alone. And we were able to far surpass our target for the number of sleeping bags needed for refugees this winter. So anytime a family or individual came to us who needed help with sleeping bags, we were able to meet that need. And we even had some leftover funds, which went into the general fund for providing dried food to refugees this spring during Greece's lockdown. Yeah, so um, now ministry is really looking exciting. We had a team meeting yesterday where we were able to plan a full week of in-person ministry. It's the first time we've been able to do that in pro- probably over a year, actually. So we've uh, what we've been doing is going through our list of people that we were giving dry food to and inviting them to have a meal with us in the park. And this is a way to get to know them, to also be able to tell them more about Jesus, um, explain the gospel to them. And we're actually back from a, a day of doing that today. And in the next few weeks, we're going to get to open up the center. We're going to be able to have people in the center for classes, for showers, for uh, using our washing machines. We're not able to provide food indoors yet, but um, that'll come soon. So ministry is really exciting. Athens is opening up again, praise God. And we're really excited for what we're able to do and the ways in which we're able to serve refugees. And we, we never forget that the reason we can do that is because we are just so well supported by our home church. We love you guys and we really miss you. Bless you. Bye. Amazing. Amazing. So good to hear from those guys and to hear how we can be praying for them as well. We are a church with partnerships and friendships all over the world. And last year, we were able to give away just under £116,000 to those different partnerships and projects to ensure that God's kingdom is being resourced and the people who are called to serve in those places can do the work that is led on their heart to do. Over almost £116,000. That's £30,000 more than we were able to give away last year. And I'm sharing that with you, not bragging, not boasting, not in any way feeling proud, but just simply saying, this is who we are as a church. This is what we feel called by God to be doing. We, we want to love people who come in these doors. We want to love people on the streets around East Belfast. And we want to love people 
who live in parts of the world where they've never heard about Jesus and ensure they get to hear about Jesus. Our text this morning is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul, if you've been around church at all, you'll know, was this incredible evangelist. Everywhere he talked and preached, people got saved. He was also a church planter. He went on three missionary journeys and planted churches in places where they'd never heard of Christianity. Some of those churches and places are still have a Christian witness today. He was an author. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote a significant part of the New Testament. But he was also, and I don't know whether you knew this or not, he was also a massive advocate for long-term mission partnerships. Paul was a massive advocate for global mission partnerships. You see, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, but it's a church that he planted years before. Probably about 50 AD, Paul, the apostle, planted a church in this wealthy port town of Corinth. And the church that Paul planted was full of DM-wearing hipsters who drank third-wave coffee and had really good jobs, who worked in finance and trades. It was a very cosmopolitan... Okay, they didn't wear DMs, but you know what I mean. It was a very cosmopolitan city, It was a very cool place to live, and the people who came to the church were living in that environment and were very wealthy and well-resourced. And Paul had planted the church, and then he's left, and he's written letters to them. We have two of the letters here in the Bible called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But scholars reckon that Paul probably wrote four letters to the church in Corinth. And what we call 2 Corinthians is probably the fourth of those letters. Two of the letters have been lost over time, which is such a shame. But when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says to them here in chapter 8, don't forget about your commitments to the collection for God's people in Jerusalem. Continue in what you started. Remember the churches in Jerusalem who are struggling under persecution, who are struggling financially. Do you remember when, I, when we started this church here in Corinth, we said we were going to give money and support and help them? Paul says in verse 6, Since you made a beginning, now bring to completion that work that you have started. It's a long-term commitment to a mission project that is 1,500 miles away. In an age where we didn't have social media to do cool videos that we could send and update people on. And it wasn't just Corinth that got involved in this. Paul's telling us that the church in Macedonia, who were probably even poorer and under more persecution than the Jerusalem Christians, They said, can we please get involved? Paul said, no, you don't have to. You guys can't do that. You haven't got it. They're, please let us help out. Let us connect with, let us give to, let us support. And as you read through the New Testament, you see it wasn't just Corinth and the Macedonian church. The church in Galatia, Achaia, Derbe, Lystra, Berea, Thessalonica, Ephesus, they were all part of this collection that was brought to the struggling Christians in Jerusalem at that time. Not just money, but representatives from each of these churches traveled with the gift and with Paul to bring it to Jerusalem. So here you see the very first, or one of the very first mission teams, or short-term mission teams, of people being sent out with financial gift to go and pray for and encourage 
the church in Jerusalem. See, what Paul is advocating for is more than a consistent direct debit. What he's talking about is a long-term heart connection with God's people in other parts of the world. Verse 4, he calls them, don't forget the fellow saints. The Greek word is actually the holy ones. This is the language of family, of God's family. If Paul was talking to you, his favorite term would be, you're the holy ones of God. And the Christians in this struggling church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago were the holy ones of God. It's the same language because it's the same family. And Paul again and again refers to church as family. And just because of geography, just because of race, just because of language, just because of poverty, just because people might live in Athens or India or somewhere else in the world, doesn't make them any less part of God's family than the people you see beside you in church today. I remember um, a few years ago when we could meet together as a Presbyterian church at our General Assembly there was a representative there from the church in Pakistan, a guy, the Reverend Maksud Kamil. I may have pronounced that wrong, but as as close as I can get. And he stood up to give an update about the churches that our Presbyterian church connects with in Pakistan, a church that is impoverished, a church that is under massive persecution for their faith. And he says, you in the West, you in Ireland, you in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, you talk about the persecuted church and the poor church and the global church, but what you do with that language is you separate yourselves from it. You don't unite with it. You have the church here in Ireland, and then you have the persecuted church. He says, no, Scripture tells us there is one church. And he used this illustration. He said, if I cut, now I happened to cut my finger this morning. There's a plaster on it. That wasn't on purpose. But he says, if I cut my finger, I can say my finger's bleeding. But actually what's more accurate is I can say I'm bleeding. Let me push a more provocative one at you. If I have cancer in a kidney, for example, I don't say my kidney has cancer. I say, I have cancer. And what Paul is doing with this collection is saying, there's not the poor church in Jerusalem and the wealthy church in Corinth. He's saying there's one church. And as you give to it, your heart joins with it because you are one people. I I guess my question for you this morning as we think about our Our church with global partnerships is which of our global partnerships gets under your skin? Which captures your heart? Which one do you feel drawn not just to give to, but to weep for and to pray for? Because that's what it is to be a global disciple. That's what it is to be church. And that's what it means to be part of the church here in Orangefield. It's interesting though, because this passage that Paul gives us, these few verses in chapter 8, The passage is not actually about money. You're thinking, what? It's not about money. Paul never mentions money once in the whole passage. Never mentions it. For Paul, the act of giving, what's the term he uses? The grace of giving. He uses the word charis, which is what I named my daughter. 
It's the Greek word for grace. He talks about the grace of giving that has been given to you. You see, we often think of giving as something we do. I give because I've been motivated to give by something I've seen on TV or something the minister said or because of whatever reason it is. But giving something that I do and it's personal and it's private. And maybe when I speak about giving today, some of you feel angry about that. Shouldn't speak about money in church. Some of you feel guilty. Oh, he's talking about giving and I don't give enough. You feel prideful, maybe. He's talking about giving. We're sorted. We, 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 we give enough. We give plenty. We give more than most people here in the church. Money does things to our heart, doesn't it? It does things to our heart. But when we think of giving as that's something we do, then all of those things rise up within us. But actually what Paul talks about is grace. And grace is not something we do. Grace is something that God does. Grace is something God gives to you and gives to me to help us become more like Jesus. Grace is 100% a work of the Holy Spirit. N.T. Wright, the theologian, says this. He says, often when people talk about grace in church circles, they are referring simply to the undeserved love and power which God showers on people in bringing them to faith. This is central, Wright says. This is core. This is key. But Paul also uses the word to refer to what God wants to do, not just in and for Christians, but through Christians as well. Grace is bigger than we think. You see, in verse 7 of this text, Paul says, you know, just the way you excel, and he uses the words of faith and words and knowledge and love, just as you excel, you excel in something because you've got better at it. Excel doesn't speak of simply a one-off moment. Excel speaks of a beginning and a middle and a perfection of it. You excel because you have progressed in it. Paul says, this is you excel in these things. It's interesting, though, the, the words he uses. He uses the word faith, pistos. The, he uses the NIV says speech. It's actually the word logos, the living word of God. Gnosko, knowledge, agape, love, just as you excel in these things. And the language of this verse in verse 7, it's the same language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 when he writes to the same church previously when he talks about spiritual gifts or grace gifts or gifts that God gives to the church to help them to grow and become more like Jesus and to serve the body of Christ. Gifts that he gives to you that as you use them and practice them, you get better at them. And if you watch the Lions match, I know there's a lot of football fans, but let's talk about rugby, you know, God's own sport. Um, the Lions game yesterday, Dan Bigger, every time he kicked, he put it over the bar. It was perfect. Guy clearly has a gift for sports and athletics and for kicking, but it's a gift that has been refined in hours and hours and hours of practice. 
That's what Paul's saying here. These grace gifts that God gives to you by his Holy Spirit, the gift of faith. He gives you faith. You don't conjure faith up within yourself. He gives you faith. It's a work of the Spirit in your life as the work of Jesus becomes real to you on the cross. And faith grows as you walk through difficult situations and valleys and hardships. And you trust and you pray, your faith grows. He gives us his word, the living word of God's. His gift to his church. And yet, as we, it's only as we read it and use it and understand it that our desire to read it and use it and understand it grows. He talks about knowledge. Drawing the trajectory from 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, he's talking about prophetic words. This gift that God gives to his church of being able to hear him speak. My sheep know my voice, Jesus says. But it's only through stillness. It's only through immersing ourselves in Scripture. It's only through listening do we learn to hear the voice of God. Same with love. God's love is his gift to us. But our experience of his love grows as we worship him and as we read the scriptures, as we come together in fellowship and learn to love one another well. These grace gifts that God gives to the church that grow within us as we use them. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Paul talks about the grace of giving. How many of us think of giving as a gift that God gives to us? How many of us pray for God to help us get better at our giving? How many of us say to God, listen, here are my finances. What does it look like to live faithfully with them? Help me to grow in the gift of generosity and of giving, not allowing my finances to rule my heart. See, the goal is not to give more, The goal is not to get more. The goal is not to resource more. The goal is not to send more. Those things are byproducts. Paul says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you this. I'm inviting you into this. The goal is plain and simple. Jesus. The goal for you and me in our Christian walk is to become more and more like Jesus. And Paul tells us that there is a grace in this gift of giving that God gives to the church to help us to become more and more like Jesus. You see, in a culture where the dominant narrative is individualism, in a culture where the dominant narrative is consumerism, where we think, if I follow my desires, I'll be complete and I'll be happy. If I follow my feelings, that'll lead to happiness. If I buy everything I want to buy, then surely that leads to success and fulfillment and completeness. It's the myth of secular salvation. Jim Carrey once famously said, I wish everybody could have all the money they ever wanted so they could see that money is not the secret to happiness. 
the act of giving in a culture of individualism and consumerism, the act of giving is defiance. The act of giving actually begins to reform our hearts. The act of giving begins to reclaim our humanity. The desire to give is a gift that God gives to you and gives to me to help us to become more like Jesus. And this is where we finish. In verse 9, listen to these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus, who was everything and had everything, made himself a servant to humanity. He emptied himself of all of his rights. He opened his arms. He died on the cross. He gave up his very life so that you could have everything. Forgiveness, fullness of life, eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus gave everything so you could have everything. And it is only by turning to him that you gain everything. Problem is, the problem is when we come to Jesus, we, we have this impoverished notion of his grace. I come to him and I say, Jesus, can you forgive me for that thing I did yesterday? And here's what I think he's going to say to me. I think he's going to say, but Gareth, did I not forgive you for that yesterday? Or I'll I'll give you enough grace for that today, but see, tomorrow, you're on your own. I can't believe you're asking me this again. We, we, We think that grace works like that. But we are told in the Bible that that God's love and God's grace, it's so high, it's so wide, it's so deep. You can never, ever come to the end of it. You will never run out of it. There is nothing that you have done. And there's nothing that you keep doing that Jesus' death on the cross will not forgive and forgive and forgive. You know, our prayer ministry team, before the service started, they, they, they saw this picture of somebody holding a hand up, saying, stop. I wonder, is that you this morning? That you just think, you don't know what I've done, Gareth. How can I come to Jesus? How can he forgive me? Just just stop. Just stop. I've been there before. Just stop. And I'm telling you, there is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. There is more grace in Jesus than there is rebellion in you. There is more grace in Jesus than there is disobedience in you. And you will never, ever come to the end of it. The problem in the church in Corinth wasn't actually to do with money. The problem in Corinth, maybe for some people the problem today, The church had an impoverished notion of the grace of God. The church had an impoverished notion of the grace of God. And in a culture of individualism and in a culture of consumerism where nobody actually likes to talk about money, Jesus says, let me give you grace in every single part of your life that you can become more like me. Giving's only part of it. Let me give you grace. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you are the Father who loves to give good gifts to your children. You pour out your grace faster than we can pour out sin. And I pray, Lord, this morning, rain down grace on this congregation. And in a moment of silence, I I invite you to tell God what you need. Is it a grace gift? Is it one of those spiritual gifts that you want to ask him for now? Ask him. Is it help with your finances? Maybe to manage them better, maybe to be more generous. Ask him. Is it simply the grace of forgiveness that you have have never come to God and asked to be made whole, to be made complete, to be forgiven, to be given eternal life? Or, Or maybe you prayed that prayer years ago and you've turned away, you've backslidden, you've made mistake after mistake after mistake. This morning, ask him for grace. Ask him for forgiveness. Pray, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Make me your child. I am sorry. Father, pour out grace this morning on this church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.